No, now we're live. <laughs> Welcome to the Jungle Bells podcast. This is episode 66 of the JB podcast. I feel like we should have had some kind of celebration or something in episode 60, but we never did. Anyway, uh, it's me, your host, Joe Worthington, <laughs> Paul Fotofili. Hello. And we've got Jess Fraser in the house today. Jess, okay. welcome. Sup. Sup. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick note, uh, Jim is back in action. It's, I don't know, three or four weeks post-lockdown, Paulie? Three. Three weeks. Probably it's, three. It's gone sick. Uh, we've got heaps of space here. All the regulations around COVID and stuff have been adhered to and there's still plenty of room. So if you do want to come and train, check us out, junglebrothers.com or at Jungle Brothers Movement on Instagram. The good news this week is that jiu-jitsu kicked back off. Uh, which is why it's very timely having Jess in the house. Um, it's really nice to get back to just some regular contact training. Um, and we have our fundamentals and regular class running five days a week, uh, six days a week, actually. So if you are interested in training JITs, come check us out at the Spar- same places. Sparring has kicked off as well. Sparring kicked off? FYI, yeah, last night. What were you guys doing prior to that? Um, we were doing shadow boxing, which is just a general term for non-contact striking. Um, so w- whether it was footwork or, or speed work with the hands and just working combos. It's quite a good class. It was quite popular while it was while we were doing that. And those who stuck with it over COVID have come back and, you know, they're back on the pads and stuff now and they're saying they're, they're feeling a lot better. Like they've come back better for it. Sick. Mm. How did it feel um, punching each other in the face again and getting getting close? Did, it, <laughs> did, it, did anyone express it feeling strange after not doing that? Um, if, yeah, it was just like, you know, regular things like just trying to get the timing back. The feeling back and most people aren't going, you know, really hard first night back and stuff. But yeah, it's a small adjustment, but it's cool. Nice. Sick. Jess, um, Mm. you're from Victoria. Well, yeah, that's where I've known you from. (laughs) Yes. Um, What are you doing in Sydney? And uh, (laughs) you tell us how you got here and then can you give us just a little intro uh, into who you are? Okay. You might have to remind me of the second part of that question because my... My yeah. attention span is pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the reason I am in Sydney is I've just come up from Wollongong. So there's no restrictions currently between like traveling between these two places. Um, at the beginning of the COVID crisis, I crossed the border and went to Threadbow with my family to go mountain biking and then they closed the borders. So I've been here ever since. <laughs> oh, is that what happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was like right at the beginning. Right at the beginning. Like, Almost even before, yeah. How did that? How did that feel? <laughs> was it kind of nice? Were you like, oh shit, we're on a forced holiday, or did, or was it actually a bit distressing being kind Both. of locked out of your state? Both. So I guess that's been my like big lesson of this whole thing is that there can be a Venn diagram of all experiences, like, <laughs> and in the middle is the COVID crisis. You know, like, so there's some really cool things about it, and there's some really awful things about it, and definitely being stuck in Threadbow in like, you know paradise essentially is mm. fantastic but also then you turn on the radio or pick up your phone and then it was really terrible so it was i don't know yeah it was wonderful and awful and amazing and shocking all at once you know so when we were in threadbow we were meant to be there for like five nights or something and we just decided to turn off all data all everything for a little longer than that and then go and get a newspaper when we wanted to get some news and <laughs> when Come we did, <laughs> well, it was just too stressful. Like mm. you'd read something then it would just be playing in your head and you couldn't talk to anyone about it and you couldn't get any updates. Like we're all in the same boat, right? Like so having more information didn't help then because no one knew anything. Yeah. Mm. You're just reading about bad things unfolding. Yeah, and that's awful. Like lying in a tent. <laughs> 
<laughs> staring at the roof of the tent. It just took me back to like, yeah, waking up on a Sunday at a festival day. So it's just like <laughs> all the paranoia hits you at once, you know. So like, yeah, it was it was better to just switch off and yeah, make some decisions after after the fact. So yeah. when you when you get locked out from the state, does that mean you've, you've packed a bag for five days or maybe a little longer? Well, Do you I get didn't to send stuff up or. So when I left, like. You know, the way that I live in Melbourne is all I brought all of my overheads way down so I can live an athlete's life, you know. So I didn't have a car or anything and I hired yeah. a car to leave Victoria, a big car. So when I left Victoria, things hadn't really shut down and things hadn't changed too much. People were like hoarding toilet paper, sure, but like <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't too serious yet. Businesses were still functioning, whatever. Um, because we closed our gym down quite early. I saw that as an opportunity to just spend some time with my family. So, like, the way that my week had structured over the last, like, I think six, seven years, I've been touring with seminars and Australian Girls and Gay and, like, doing events and stuff for, for my finances. And I restructured that because I got a little bit travel fatigued. So, I restructured that into, like, weekly classes, like teaching at a bunch of different places and making sure I was in one spot quite a lot. Um, and that meant I couldn't travel as much, which means I haven't seen my family very much in the last year. Mm. So I took it as like, okay, cool, I'll just take two weeks off and like the other gyms and I'll just drive up to Threadbow and meet the family and I'll take all my mats with me. So I've got like 64 squares sure. of mats in the back of this car and <laughs> <laughs> okay. like a bunch of geese and I just figured, well, I'll just come up the coast and I'll sell some seminars, sell some like private lessons, whatever, get some A-gig events going because we could. And, like, I kind of innocently just drove off into the sunset. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose at that point you didn't know how long it was going to be locked down for. Like We honestly you know, thought two like weeks. A couple of weeks. Like, yeah. that it was, yeah, totally innocent. I, I'd booked the car for two weeks. So when I got to Threadbow and they cha- – like, they didn't lock the borders, but they said you'd have to self-isolate if you went home. And like I said about, like, my – set up at home like I live in a tiny little box in Richmond quite close to the city very close to the gym no car park no car like a box one external window (laughs) that I share with like four smokers you know like so it yeah the the idea of going back to that kind of setup I knew my mental health couldn't cope with that to be honest like Mm. with no jiu-jitsu like that lifestyle is totally fine with jiu-jitsu for me but without jiu-jitsu or without lifting or whatever it just yeah, I, I knew I couldn't cope. I knew I wouldn't be able to get through it, you know. Mm. So um, I talked to my family and we were like, well, best case scenario is we stay together because we're already like in our little bubble anyway. So mm. I just came up to Wollongong and we cleared out the band room of my brother-in-law's and I slept <laughs> in that for three months, you know. So, yeah. How many family are we talking in this unit? Is it your immediate family? So my sister, my brother-in-law, their two kids. So we were in a bubble together. Cool. Poor mum, she had a lot of FOMO. You know how mums just want to be in there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, she was in Canberra and not able to come and hang out with us. But, yeah. So that was the three months is hanging out with that crew, which was really nice, like really nice. And I... I had access to, you know, like the coast walks and stuff. So I walked from Wollongong to Bundina. Sick. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And that's pretty life-changing wow. walk, you know. Like, well, I ran it but ran what I could. But, yeah, it, like, gives you a lot of time to think and, like, to see that part of the world and, yeah. Yeah. So uh, for folks listening, if you didn't pick up already, Jess is very much in the jiu-jitsu world. Yes. Um, and <laughs> Maybe a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, as I, that's how I know Rabbit you, right? Rabbit hole, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you're, one of the, you're one of the few female black belts in the country? Uh, there's 30, 
eight of us, 36, 38. I would have to look that up on my phone, but I do have that data. Okay, so that's yeah. a, I mean, that's a small amount of, you know, that's a... Yes. It's a prized position to pretty be Pretty rare bird, yeah. 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 Um, what is, uh, how has the jiu-jitsu thing unfolded for you? So you, you had a gym, mm. um, are you, is coaching at the gym, was that your main thing or was competing? You also mm. mentioned um, A-Gig. Yeah, Australian is, Girls and Gay. Yeah, yeah, which is an organisation you run. I created. Founded yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and that's your whole yeah. thing. So what, what's it been for cool. you in recent yeah. years? Have you been, has, has sort of coaching and teaching been your main thing or do you mix that with competing and... Mm, yeah, all of it. All, all of the above. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I, like, so, hmm, how do I explain it all? I, I came to jiu-jitsu quite late in life. So I started when I was 30 and um, had a bit of an overview of like, how I wanted to do things, you know, like, so I knew I wanted to make my living jujitsu. I wanted to like make it holistic, everything about my life. But I also kind of looked at the gym setup and the financial structure of them and how people were going with that. And like 10 years to black belt, have to get a good reputation, then build a community, like all that kind of stuff. I just thought, that's like, that's tough. So we're talking like a successful 43 year old. You know, mm, and when you're 30, mm. that's like, mm, it's a bit far. It's and a it's, lifetime away. I'd like to earn some money at some point, you know. So, like, also looking at, like, real estate rental for gyms in Melbourne is is pretty pricey if you, like, want it to not be, like, out in the sticks, which, like, there's, you know, pros and cons for all of that. But for me, I kind no of… No one wants to be out in the sticks in Melbourne right now. No, they don't. It depends on the direction. <laughs> like, but yeah, that's true. Like, so yeah, like I kind of looked at it and, and figured I'd only make money if I owned the building, you know, and I didn't want to get into being the bottom, the bottom of the tree of a real estate game, you know, <laughs> like, so it wouldn't matter what I'm selling, whether it's coffee or jujitsu, I'm still just paying somebody else's least you know right like so uh, looking at that and like not wanting those kind of overheads and just trying to work out a way like I mean this kind of came later on in the piece but like trying to work out a way to make money from it like coaching would come quite a bit later it also didn't pay very well like so as far as I can see like even now I'll I'll see an ad for a jiu-jitsu instructor and it's like must have 15 years experience two stripes on the black belt done this, done this, done this, 50 grand a year. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, no. It's like three degrees yeah. worth of education. You must have a PhD and you can, yeah, earn 25 bucks an hour. I'm, I'm like, that's a struggle for me. So like. You're obviously not passionate enough about the art. I sacrifice your <laughs> life for $25 an hour. Well, I have. Like I'm not, it's not like I'm, I'm doing exceptionally well with money. I don't think there's a lot of money in jiu-jitsu, you know, but kind of having that sort of mentality and like overview of jiu-jitsu and how I wanted to be in it. I want I needed members but not overheads. Mm. And that's essentially what Australian Girls in Ghee is. So they don't pay a membership fee. I also looked at what happened with um, AFBJJ and when they introduced a membership fee to the organisation and everyone hated them. Like right. as soon as they did that, they everybody hated them. And from then on only talks about AFBJJ with like a bad taste in their mouth. So it's the Australian Federation, right? Of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which yep. used to be a free membership and then they added in this like arbitrary thirty bucks a year that just like it's only thirty bucks a year, but it just pissed people off, you know? Like <laughs> yep. it, like I can pay for the service, no problems, but like it it 
I watched how the community responded to that and I chose not to do that either. Like a lot of business coaches have said to me, you should charge your members because I've got 2,500 members and I do like service community a lot within that and I'm working a lot to help them and to support them. But I don't know, just ethically I didn't want to do that. So what I do is like opt-in memberships, you know, opt-in to the camp right. once a year. As an event you run. Exactly. It's yeah. like a couple hundred bucks – you get to go to do that and then like I like have a little skim off the top and that helps me pay my rent and then I do that with events, right? Like so, yeah, that's how I decided to approach a career in jiu-jitsu is offer events so it's an opt-in. Yeah. Members come because it's my network that I built but they don't pay an ongoing membership, yeah, and I don't have ongoing overheads. And the me- what do the members belong to? They belong to – is it a, it's a Facebook group? Um, yeah. What else, what else do they have? Um. So – yeah, like predominantly it's an online forum, but they have access to mentors and, yeah, all of the gear, like merchandise, events, that kind of thing. Yeah, support. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously um, I've never been a member, right? It's mm. for girls. But every but every there is men in that. And I'll is there men in that? that? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. let's yeah. come back to that. Yeah. But every um, – I, 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 I find it hard to think of a female that I've met in jiu-jitsu – who isn't either a part of it or knows about it and really likes it. Yeah, exactly. And it just has a great reputation mm. and it seems like such a cool initiative, mm. you know, which, I mean, fuck, we, we understand this idea of doing something out of passion and mm-hmm. wanting to help yeah. and then also struggling to make ends meet yeah. and it just being this really hard line to, yeah. to, uh, to, to straddle. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and all those feelings you have of like, oh, fuck, I need to make some money here, but mm. then I also don't want to come off as just trying to make money. That's right. Right. Yeah. And so it is, it's a, it's a really fine art. So, Very you know, however, however it's positioned for you now, like well done, it seems, Thank it you. seems like you've done an awesome mm. thing. Yeah. It's, it's been pretty amazing. 10 years of it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's 10 sick. years, I know. <laughs> I, I see the events. So how many, mm. like how many people came to your, to, to a, your last event? What sort of numbers are you, are you getting there? Uh, well, we have 16 comps a year. Um, and they're like, Decent. yeah, it's a lot. That's, you asked me Fuck, about it's Hope more than one Douglas. Month. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. Hope's, not my first employee, second employee. So she runs the comps for me now because I just can't do it all myself, yeah. but it also allows me to pay her quite well, very well <laughs> to run those comps. So then she can compete internationally. So awesome. I'm like crowdsourcing her to go overseas. And right now I think she's. No, I know she's going to be our most successful female black belt competitor because oh, she's got a sick. lot of time in black belt, which is really nice. She's also very good, which helps, you know. Like so, yeah. So bankrolling that for her through the the comp, so Australian girls get to have more competition experience. They pay us, I pay her. She goes overseas, gets more experience, and then she also tours with seminars. So it's like exactly like wow, a paraglider, right? Really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like a spiral yeah. up and then a big spiral yes, overview, yeah. you know. So like. That's the idea of that that structure and having her involved in in Australian Girls and Gee. Mm. But that yeah, alone, so what you explained there, that alone, like, just shows the success of what you've you've made. Yeah, yeah, having it's the community and having that loop that feeds, you know, it assists rising, you know, potential, mm. and then it feeds back into yeah, teaching yeah. the others and inspiring them. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, so oh, that's been busy. You guys yeah, have very been busy. busy. <laughs> yeah, so that's the comps. There's 16 comps a year. They go into the major cities. We've tried to, like, so it's Brisbane, Perth, Sydney, Melbourne. We try to put it elsewhere. So we've tried to do Canberra. We've tried to do 
Byron, I don't know, a couple other places. We give it a go and if they don't work, we, we can't repeat it, you know. So, like, we yep. can't run it unless we have 40 and if it drops below that... 40 competitors. Yeah, it starts to get a little bit weird. Um, but most comps have 75 to 100 at them. The cool thing about that is it's like there's heaps of really little girls. So, like, I mean little girls four-year-olds and stuff. So you've got like a 17-kilo division. <laughs> it's like, so that's cool. the coolest. It's like a warm-up weight for a kettlebell swing. You know? <laughs> and a little geese, but they're awesome. Like it, and, and that's fun, you know. Like one of the really cool that's things cool. about the Australian Girls and Gay comps now for me is people come up to me and say, oh, yeah, Australian Girls and Gay was my first comp. Like, oh. <laughs> like <laughs> wow. it's mm. just, you know, like my heart like bursts with that, you know. Like... It's really For cool. Sure. You come, you see like whole family units coming, like the mum and the daughter and a sister and somebody else competing. It's really cool. So that's the comps. Um, so they're a, they're healthy size. They're a size that you can manage on your own if you have to. So I don't actually want them to be too much bigger. They have a really nice in-house vibe about them because everybody's on the same like crew and they've talked to each other online or whatever and they just haven't met before or whatever it is. You know, it's a very different vibe to like a bigger comp, but it's still like they try to rip each other's heads off. Yeah. Like <laughs> some of the most violent acts happen under that roof, you know? <laughs> like so, yeah, like it's it's very serious. Like a match is always serious. You've got to take it seriously because injury and danger is a potential, you know? Like but mm. the, it's very friendly and supportive, you know? Like we take that opportunity to teach coaches and family members how to coach properly as well. So we're doing a service to the wider community in that, we only allow one person to coach for a child, only one voice. Everybody else, like, and we coach them at the beginning. We teach them. Um, so it's one person in a corner. They're allowed to give technical advice. Everybody else can only give supportive advice. So it's like, So all the people on the sidelines is like, don't fucking just tell them to clap do, them on and say, yeah, well yeah. done. But 100%. And, and specifically parents. Right on. And we also yeah. teach them that crying happens. It's just what kids do, you know. It's an overwhelm. There's a lot happening. Like... And they will cry and it doesn't mean that they're necessarily injured, but we will check whether they're not, like they are or not, you know. like So, so we're on top of it. We've got mm. like a heap of experience in it. Done 16 of these events a year per year for the past seven years, you know. Like we, we're on it, but we're trying to guide parents into being better, yeah, supporters at the bigger comps. Same mm. with the coaches and stuff. So we also then take the women that sort of outgrow wanting to compete at the A-gig comps, we'll take your purple belts or whatever and we'll – make them refs. So mm. we teach them how to ref. They kind of do a little apprenticeship. They get to like cut their teeth with us and then like our goal is to get them all onto the mats into the bigger comps, right? So just create a bigger presence. So we're like we're not a shallow pool because it's a hard comp and refing is refing and you've got to take care of your, your, your matches and their safety and all that kind of stuff. But people are more confident to have a go with us, you know? Yeah. It's funny what you say about the kids crying. Um, Paul used to run the kids program here at mm. Jungle Brothers and, you know, kids were crying all the fucking time. And they that's what we were telling the parents, man. It's fine. They're having a great time. So do women. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. So do yeah. women, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I've cried on the mat a bunch of times. Like whatever. It's an emotional yeah. response. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I've seen dudes rage out. Like it's an emotional like, response too. Like, like and suppressed it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like it, it happens. It Like it's just an emotional response. You, you sometimes are so deep into like – your CNS that, who knows what happens. It's cool. Like, it, it's, a, it's a tough thing to, to be telling a parent though. Mm. And you're kind of, yeah, you're educating the parent on that side of things. Cause, yeah. Because I imagine some of the parents 
don't do jujitsu themselves. Exactly. So they don't know what it's like to be in that close contact exactly. with that kind of friction. But, but be kind of okay with it. So, mm. yeah, it'd be tough to like – I'd imagine there'd be some tough parents on the side. Oh, yeah. You know, and settling them down would yeah. be a challenge. That's what – like, I mean, a hope is exceptional on and off the mats for so many reasons. But, you know, you you try to place people into a position that are better than you at something. And I ran the comps for a long time and I did it well. Like, and I have a certain style about doing it. But hope with parents is like – watching something phenomenal like she really calms people down and she just I mean she's a parent herself which is also Mm. like phenomenal to see somebody compete at that level and be like a mum you know like Mm. but just the way she communicates and and yeah helps people out I'm a bit more abrasive (laughs) 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 a bit more like (laughs) yeah exactly I just yeah yeah she's a much better listener than I am is that the best way to put it But yeah, so she does that well. But back to your question. I mean, I think it was a two-part question. I don't know. Can't yeah, in and around. Yeah, that. So those events like tick along. I tend to now do the comps. Sorry, the events that are more focused on community. So I run the big camp once a year. This year it was four days, three nights, all meals, all accommodation. I hire a ferry. I take them out Sick. to the Hawkesbury. So we go to Broken Bay. So we're isolated. There's no data coverage. Like it's really cool. I take all of the grappling industries mats on a barge, which always gives me the fear because <laughs> like if that thing goes down. It's <laughs> so like an expensive collection it's, it's of mats. It's a problem. Yeah, like right. it's, yeah, it'd be fun to float home on them, <laughs> but like it just would be a bit of a drama. So yeah, we do that. And there's usually about 150 attendees with 17 staff. Wow. Dude, the last one looked fucking huge and awesome. Like I can barely even talk about the last one because it was so traumatic for me. (laughs) But they had a great great time. (laughs) Was it just super stressful to put something of that scale on? Uh, No, like I got it to a point. So I've done it 10 times now plus a couple of barley camps that go for like two weeks or one week depending on the event. Um, And I've done a couple of winter camps that are about 100 people. Like I'd say I've done maybe 20 camps all up. Um, and the big camp, I've like I've got it down to a fine art, you know. Like I do it really well, and it, yeah, we're able to hire our own beach and a ferry, and you know, and all this kind of stuff because I've done it so many times. But this year, <laughs> this year there was like fires and flood, you know. Of course. <laughs> so like I'd set up this camp. Like this year was the tenth, and it was the tenth anniversary, and I like it was kind of culminated with my fortieth birthday. So I. I, I've never been able to attend an A-gig event. Like, you know, it's like Jesus wasn't a Christian. Like, you don't get to be the dude, you yes, know. Like, yeah. it's Have every event. <laughs> yeah, yeah like sacrifice a little bit for that. <laughs> but, like, I really want to go to these events. Like, I build the events that I'd love to walk into. And so, for me, it was like, right, this one's going to be for me. So, I spent a lot of money on this one. <laughs> like, a lot of money. I flew in 13 black belts. For me, like 13 female black belts. <laughs> like, of course, for the attendees. Yes, yes. Like, yeah, yeah, I love yeah. you guys Like that are listening. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> but, like, it, it really – I built, like, my dream event. And I flew in all of my, like, best mates from all over the country and from New Zealand and hired them as staff so, like, I could kind of financially, like, justify that, right? So they fly in and they also are my mat crew and, like, you know – Helpers generally, just general administration, the store, everything. Mm. So I did that and we went in on the Thursday to set up 
and like the cool thing is like all the rooms are air conditioned and stuff like they stay in paradise like it's, it's an incredible event where, where was this um this year it was at broken bay so i've done two at broken bay it's like so you're overlooking palm beach right yes yes so yep. private private setup though you yep. can only get there by boat because Fantasy <laughs> Island. Like, of course, of course. <laughs> you know, it's just the greatest. Four days of, of rolling and just, you know, all your meals done. All you got to do is roll, eat, walk literally straight into the ocean, wash off, go lie down, roll, eat. Like it's, it's honestly the greatest weekend ever, you know. <laughs> so all of that happened. We went in, set up on the Thursday, which is always like a lot of work. Um, yeah, like building a whole gym because it's the size of a basketball court, right? Like it's 10 mm. mats, mm. like 10 competition squares. Yeah. And it's, yeah, like a whole Australian Girls and Geese store, like everything. It's, it's amazing. Um, Thursday night, all the lights go off and the room gets hot. And I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> like, but it'll be fine in the morning. <laughs> and it was not fine in the morning. <laughs> like, so what had happened is – like we were – because it was in January. It was Australia Day weekend. So that's how we can have four days. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> God. And the, there was the fires. So I'd been keeping an eye on the fires a lot, right? So I've got all the Americans and the, the people coming in from the UK like phoning me going, hey, like Australia's on fire. Should I fly in there? And I'm like, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. Just don't <laughs> yeah. look out the windows as you're coming into Sydney. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And so um, there had been an electrical storm that night and we had lost power because there was a lightning strike in the area and there was a bushfire about 2Ks from us. So we had no power. There was a fire on the headland coming towards us. And you're on the, the tip of it. <laughs> and we're on the island, right? Well, not on the island, on the beach, right? So I'm told you need to cancel this event. And I'm like, oh. I, I can't. Like I, I genuinely can't. Mm. Like there's mm. people coming in, you know? Like, And so – I'm like dealing with the logistics of the venue and the fact that I've got 150 people on a boat on their way to me, you know. And they're like, we have enough power to get us through to midday tomorrow. Oh, sorry, enough backing, like storage of stuff to get us through yep. to, to midday tomorrow. But we don't have any power. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's all right. I can sell it tonight, you know. I could like just be this like bouncy, happy kid. Yeah. <laughs> like I can sell it tonight. You just Holy They're going to be so excited because they'll just – trip. Exactly. Yeah. It's just at least their phones will still be charged, you know. Like they'll have a torch. <laughs> like so that kind of vibe and we'll just have a barbecue tonight. Like gas barbecue, yay. Like it's outdoors and you're at camp. So that worked. That was – yeah, it was – the first night was amazing. Um, we awarded – Kirsty Mather with her black belt, which was an incredible thing. I flew in her coach so we could get that done. And cool. it was just the most amazing, you know. Like so a lot of women there were looking at black belt women for the first time and also seeing a woman get her black belt, you know. So that like just And that's a rare event to to be a so part of. So rare. So that's rare, cool. you know, it was very emotional. So um that was amazing and we all rolled and we all had a great time and then ate and like hung out and there's like a couple of games and stuff, like activities afterwards. But I have to make the announcement of like, hey, so there's no power, you know, like, but see you in the morning. And then like they all go to bed and I'm still trying to deal with this situation. So there's no data coverage there, right? You have to go 3Ks down a hill to get data coverage. So I was running back and forward <laughs> to try to get data coverage to so- build a second event. So we were like, the power might come back on at any stage, but it also might not so I have to make a plan like it might not be coming back on. So what, you're thinking go to a different place? Yeah, but everyone back this across. event takes me nine months to build. 
yeah, this yeah. is what I do with my whole year, you know? Like it has so many moving parts, so many moving parts and so many people involved that I literally – I start usually in March – and then I'm ready to go. Like, and I like I almost don't get it released by September for the registration process because it's so big, mm. you know. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I was juggling how to <laughs> how you could possibly move it, and if I just cancel it and send them home, thinking about trying the to like, it up. trying to weigh that up, mm. you know, like financially, massive problem. Mm. Also, like reputation for the business, what it's going to look like on social media, like trust like of my members, you know, mm, like mm. just – and people – like a lot of people use the camp as their annual like seeing friends and stuff, you know. Yeah, like yeah, I have yeah. – uh, away. I have about a 70% return rate. So like people use it as their family reunion. I know I do, yep. you know, and they wait all year for it. People have a countdown on their calendars already. That's mad. You know, like so it's it's that kind of event that just – it's it's a, a big deal for a lot of people, myself included – so tell me the power came back on i'm on the edge of my seat i know it's amazing right (laughs) (laughs) it cost me a little bit of my soul but it did happen so (laughs) what happened was the next morning um i'm getting information the whole time you know from the actual venue but then also having to do like crowd performance stuff like hey guys let's roll like and they're just running off into the background and just like having full meltdowns you know there was points where i considered just swimming and just Harold holding out of there, you know, like just <laughs> not <Harold> stopping. <laughs> but yeah, so the next day um, I'm told we can open the fridges twice and that's it because the fridges don't have power anymore, right? Like so we can open them, get the food out, barbecue it, but we can only do it two more times before there's like food poisoning issues. And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> and then at about, what was it, nine o'clock, they said, also, so the backup generators for the sewerage have failed. <laughs> so I'm thinking about <laughs> how many people we have to deal with, feed them, and then also that. Yep. So I decided to move it. They're like, look, the power could come back on this afternoon. I'm like, I don't care. We're going to move it. So we moved it to Narrabeen, to the New move, South Wales. Move what? Like move the event? The event. Pack your bags, everyone. <laughs> Fuck. Dude. I'm still traumatized. Like I'm still like I thought this was the most stressful thing that could happen. And then COVID happened, so you know it's just about like you know <laughs> putting Contrast. things yeah, yeah. into perspective. But so we moved it to is it the New, Sa- Sports Center? New South Wales Sports Center? Cent- yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm on the phones to them. Right? They it's a long weekend. Of course. They have a venue, yeah. but they don't have any food and they don't have any staff. Right? And we're on like a beach in the middle of nowhere. So. I go in, like announce the first session. Jesse starts teaching – was it Jesse? can't remember. Yeah, starts teaching jiu-jitsu. Like I run off. My whole crew, we're just like pulling down the event that's already there. Like all our banners, the whole store, everything, everything. At the end of that session, I go in and announce like, so here's the thing. The sewage is going to overflow. You need to go and pack your bags. Like you can go shower, pack your bags. There's a ferry waiting for you. So I organised another ferry. Ferry came, picked them up, took them like so – while they were getting changed and like doing all their stuff, we rolled up all the mats. So we moved the whole event, mm. got onto the barge. I got onto the barge with my sister and like one of my best mates, Dean, who was a brown belt from Perth. We get, we go across back to Brooklyn in the barge with all of the stuff, repack the truck and we're racing them, right? Like so we're driving around to Narrabeen. <laughs> the girls are packing all their stuff at the event, mm. packing all their stuff, get on the ferry. And so the ferry's 
going to beat us over to Narrabina. Of course, like, it's a lot just, quicker. Honestly, it was like the biggest nightmare. But I, I did pull it off. I was five minutes late for the next session. So we had it all set up. Wow. And we're like – so all my staff were like when the girls got to the new venue – like, okay, go and like set up your rooms or whatever and like we'll just see you on the mats for a bit. Like and so we kind of like funneled them into not seeing the whole other side get set up. Like then they just went and they got to recharge their phones and, and the Jesus. cool cell was like data coverage in Arabian, you know, like so yep. yeah, I was five minutes late. They were on the mats but I was five minutes late to go, okay, and your next session is Nogi with <laughs> Well so done. Fuck, so that was what, like a couple of hours turnaround? 12-hour turnaround. 12 hours to get. I am like Jesus. in dog years, I probably aged 18 years. It was a nightmare. Yeah. But they loved it. Like for them, it was like a second camp. Yeah. You know, like they Bit got to go to a whole another place, you know. And like the kicker of that, like it was, it was really, really stressful for me. Like, so I didn't get to like really play like I wanted to. Like the other camp was set up, like I could have just rolled all weekend, you know. But this, you know, it's fine. Like it's. I'm proud of my ability as an event organiser to get through that, but it was extremely stressful and, like, me and my mates were just, like, lying on the floor by the end of that thing. Just, like, it, I'm so glad that they are the people they are. Like, of course, mm. they're my best mates. Mm. They wouldn't be around me if they weren't, like, incredible people, but, like, they really stepped up and just, like, made me make literal magic happen like i've never seen anything like that happen and like for the girls that attended they were just like we're on a boat like they didn't care you know <laughs> like they just had the best time so yeah like for them it was amazing for me it was a lot and then that venue we left on the tuesday so it was a long weekend that venue was four foot underwater on the friday oh okay. holy shit was it yeah Wow. Yeah. So it was a bad time and we just like got the perfect window, you know, like, Dude. oh my gosh, well on a done. long weekend, on a long weekend. So that happened. Yeah. I Even had four buses. I had like ferries. I had like barges. Do you have any <laughs> events experience? Like you started just when you were 30. Were you in events at all? No. Before that? No. Yeah. It was you awesome. just learnt over the years. Learnt over the years. A few comms yeah. turned into many comms, turned yeah. into camps and yeah. yeah. My coach is funny. He's like, what are you going to do next? Like egg yeah. camp on the moon. Yes. <laughs> Talk to Elon. I reckon we could well, you're like, yeah, easy, easy. <laughs> yeah. I've been through hell. Exactly. Yeah, that was a that was a shocking one. You were but, training all your life for this one event. Yeah, I know. Well like, it, like happy birthday. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> yeah. There was a yeah. lot of post drinks happened to no get back to sanity. Yeah. So you're looking forward to the next one? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We can't talk about it. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Is that – and is that the idea that you'd continue to run one one a year? Uh, Look, I don't (laughs) know. Like, I'm genuinely traumatised. Like, I just don't know because I don't know what COVID's doing to my business at all. Like, I don't know what it's done to our community. I, like, I genuinely don't know and I feel like the Aggie camp is incredible and I – I want it to be like something that people can rely on for sure. I also have an interest in getting back to my roots with it and doing like much smaller camps, you know, like 25 people and I get to roll with everyone all weekend, you know, yeah, like be part so, of it. yeah, I'm starting to look at um, what are they called? Like tugboat things down on the Murray. Doing it on the boat? On the boat. The whole time? Fuck yeah. Like a steamboat yeah. thing? Yeah, like a steamboat. That's what I'm looking at at the moment. Wow. 
<laughs> they used to have like casinos and stuff on that. Yeah, yeah. One of those. Yeah, like How the good would that be? I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Jiu Jitsu, though. That'd be so much fun. That would be awesome. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in a potentially safe haven from bushfires. Yeah. You're in a little bubble if the COVID thing comes back. Exactly. If power goes off, you know, yeah. you are on a right. boat, though. Yes. You know, yes. You're yeah. isolated. Yeah. There's still, it could be a challenge there. I'm sure there will be challenges. Like that's the thing like about that. events organizing though, right? Like the challenge that you prepare for is not the one that's going to come up. And that's so what true. you got to be okay with. And I think that being a competitor prepared me for that. I was going to say, there's a lot of parallels there. A hundred percent. Yeah. Tell us, talk to us about your, your competitive side in jujitsu, like the, mm-hmm. that, that side of your journey. Uh, it was prolific. I am retired. Right that's, on. That's it. <laughs> 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 that's it in a nutshell. Um, yeah, it was amazing. Like, uh, I I've thought about it a lot, and uh, the word experience gets used a lot. Like now, I use it a lot as a coach. Like, you just got to get out there. You like just the experience, whatever. I don't think people qualify what their version of that word means. So. Gathering experience as a competitor, like competing a lot as a blue belt or whatever, like it's gathering experience, like upskilling is the the leaning on that word. When in fact, like when I think about my experience as a black belt, it wasn't about gathering data. It was about a life experience, you know, and it's the greatest experience of my life, like for sure. It was the greatest fun. It was totally worth it. It is worth doing. Like it's worth all the nightmare, you know. So I competed like you can see the list on my website it's ridiculous not only did I compete a lot I'm also like a total data nerd so I keep track of all this stuff you know like mm. so um how many years did you compete over like every like every as soon year. as you started you yeah get, so yep. I started yep. 10 months in yep. um and I won all four gold at the Pampax <laughs> that was my first comp Pampax. First year, first. <laughs> yeah, wow. but it also like yeah, anyway, that was the first comp and then I think my second comp was the ADCC trials. I came second. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, wait, at white belt or blue? Blue. Wow. Yeah, I'd been blue for like two weeks or something. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then Which I is came basically second. like the hardest comp. Like the ADCC trials is yeah. one of the hardest comps you could enter, right? Yeah, I didn't know the rules. Yeah. Nah, none of that. Different rule set to And you're in to. against all belts, right? And it's 60 and over and 60 and up. So I was 68 kilos at the, at the time <laughs> mm. and so I had to lose eight kilos for it too. So like uh, really yeah. like early into my career, like competing in rule sets I didn't understand against purple belt girls and doing big weight cuts and stuff, like a lot of stuff happening there, you know. Um, I came second but I won the final and that's because of the rule set because there's not points in the half that I scored points in. Oh. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so you won the final – well, well, theoretically. On, on the scoreboard, it would have been 10-4. Right. Yeah. But your points didn't count. Nope. Yeah, right. Yes. And that's the, that's the rule set. It's, it's 10 minute match, five minutes of no points. That's right. Five minutes with points. Yeah. What's so I just went. Because oh, it's, to to like, mm-hmm. it's to like, it's to foster like activity action in, sure. the, in the first half of just like smash. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Finish this fight or otherwise you're going into the next half with somebody that might just play strategy. Okay. Mm. Right. And that's which is what which, happened. which is cool, isn't it? But it it like it's a cool thing to try and incentivize because anyone who hasn't watched jujitsu, it is um, when in a competitive sense, it can be quite boring to watch because if you you can, someone can just stall out. They can sure. play for the points, 
and then edge the clock, you know, mm. hold someone down essentially and do what they need to do to, to let the clock run out. But so it's a cool thing to incentivize the action mm. in that way. Yeah. But then you see, I mean, like any rule set, people mm. then just adapt to that rule That's set, right. don't they? But when it does really like make it happen, it really makes it happen. Like some of the coolest fights you've ever seen, ADCC stuff, you know, like it's just when it explodes, it really explodes. And they used to even pay for like, they'd pay bonuses for the best takedown of the event, which got worked. And so they took it away. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like two fighters would split it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is smart, you know, but like, yeah, you get some good highlight reels for not real reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Cheeky. that would have been my second comp. And that was like, that was the first time I'd ever experienced because I didn't really have comp experience, right? Like I'd had a bunch of matches at Pampax because I had four, four divisions and a bunch of girls, whatever. But the ADCC trials... Definitely the weight cut, what I know now through experience is the weight cut really messed me up. And so I gave up. And it was the first time I'd experienced that, you know, like fighting. And you know when, <laughs> you know when you're fighting someone, <laughs> you've competed a lot, right? Like you're fighting someone and you feel them soften. Like, and I swear you eat their soul in that moment. Like you become <laughs> like 80 times stronger and like ready to go and they're at their weakest. Yeah. Because you've mentally broken them. And I did that underneath this chick. Like I, I softened and was like, I don't want it as much as you do. That happening early in my career was probably the most valuable thing that's ever happened because I just refused to feel like that ever again. I, I refuse that feeling. It was so disgusting and so foul and like, no. Nah. Never wow. again. So that happened really early and then I just went like nuts. I think I did, I don't know, something like 60 comps over the next three years or something, something like that. Holy, Holy shit. shit. <laughs> Holy yeah. Shit. And I went and I started traveling, right? Like, so I hadn't really traveled before. I'd been to like, I mean, I'd been overseas. I'd lived in London and, but Australia I hadn't. So I'd been to like Sydney, been to Melbourne a couple of times, maybe three times, but I came from Canberra and I hadn't really travelled, like a bit of South Coast, whatever. And so my first trip to Darwin was for the Nationals. So I started travelling Australia for, yeah. That's for cool. Jiu-Jitsu. And I did it by myself. I did predominantly, yeah, I can't, I can't really think of too many times I had people with me, with my competing. Mm. So I competed a lot. I went through my belts very quickly because of that. And I think that um, people don't, a tr- like a lot of people talk to me about how fast I got to black belt um, and they Which don't. Which is how long? Six years. Six years. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it's incredibly quick. Really quick. Yeah. Um, and I meddled at black belt too, so I'm just qualifying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the proof is in the Not pudding, shit. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but like. Love it. A lot of it has to do with that, you know, like. Almost every seminar I do, people ask me about that. They want that. Everybody wants to be better than they are and much faster than it's available. Like what? what's the secret or how did you do it? A hundred percent. And nobody asked me about that. They want to know about the training. They want to know about like what did you do? How did you drill? I'm like, you know what? I went out and I like faced the fire very often. Yeah. Right. Very often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me, you know, because like even I'm guessing we were probably on a similar kind of timeline. Mm. I can't remember when I started training. Maybe it was, I don't know, it was 11 years ago, mm-hmm. right? So it yep. was like 2009. I was 2010, April 2010. Okay. Yeah. 
And so like even I would go to comps at, you know, at any belt mm. um, and I haven't competed for a long time, mm. but I would go to comps and there would be no one in my division. Mm. And so, you know, and so, and I was like a middleweight guy, mm -hmm. which, you know, you would imagine is one of the more populated divisions. Mm -hmm. Depends so, on the belt, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, so how, you know, I'm guessing for a female, mm. there would have been even less, there's, you know, there's less females in the sport than there is males. Mm. So did you find like, what would happen with that? Did they would they combine divisions, or would you a lot have of to, combining, a right. lot of combining? Yeah, but right. that's great for me, you know, because I like. And this is said with respect to everybody that was in the sport at the time, but the pool wasn't very deep, you know. Yeah. So, I saw that as an opportunity to be able to set a better standard or a higher standard, and expected a lot out of myself. So I wanted to fight the men, and I had a couple of opportunities to do so. Yeah, I don't recommend it. But like, wow. it, you in know, competition. Yeah, you fought a couple of dudes in comp. Yeah, I did the South Australian state titles at blue belt, sixty six kilo men's division. <laughs> Holy shit! How did that go? Oh uh, yeah, all right. Like, no gi was better than gi. Yeah, but you know, like, I didn't win, <laughs> but I didn't like die. You yeah. know, so that's all right. That's like, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but like before me, Mary Ann was doing that for a really long time. She was fighting all the guys across Victoria. I, I don't think there's a black belt dude that you could talk to in Melbourne that doesn't have a story of Marianne kicking the shit out of <laughs> Really? <laughs> yes, at competition. Jesus. Yeah. I don't know Marianne. You will. Yeah, you'll right. Look her up and you'll that. understand. She, I think she was, yeah, she, she was around a lot longer, like a lot before me. Right. Yeah. yeah. She's very good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. She's, she's also like bigger like so she's more like closer to 80 maybe 78 or something so she could hang with the dudes in a different way with physicality yeah okay yeah, and very strong like she's a beast what yeah. were you mostly competing at around 65 i was always um lightweight so i was 61 64 in the gi always yeah um and there was a bunch of us so to answer your question it was different back then for a bunch of different reasons there was only like the nationals and pampax yeah. Like any state titles, right? And we all went to all of them. So all of the girls would go. So, in fact, my purple belt division for pan packs was the open weight. I had four fights. So it was bigger then wow. than it is now because of market saturation. So, yeah. like, though guys have got this really great opportunity with heaps of comps and it brings the price down for them and it gives them different opportunities, it's actually kind of killed our comp scene because – we can't all go to the one event like so so it spreads you thinner it does yeah and there's not enough of us to to make that work yeah. so right now there's actually less women in a division than when i was coming up ah that's super interesting mm. yeah so but also my first pan packs it was white belt white belt division and then blue to black fuck what the hell? Brutal. Like, <laughs> so brutal. Like, you get your blue belt and have to face, like, a brown belt. What? What is that? Yeah. Like, that's a nightmare. So, the next year, I, like, the next year I went as a blue belt, but they had changed it. So, it was white, blue, and then purple to black. Right. But even, like, coming up, so, I've been to Abu Dhabi four times. I've won the trial, trials four times. My second, my second Abu Dhabi, I went as a purple belt, and it was merged purple to black over there. Oh, wow. And so you're fighting trials winners, black belt mm. trials winners. My first match was – no, that's a lie. Yeah, no, my first match was uh, Mackenzie Dern. Huh. Holy Sweet. shit. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, the goat as a black belt. Currently purple fights belt, in the like, UFC, <laughs> exactly. long-time black belt. <laughs> Only chick to beat like Multiple Gabby. Multiple-time world like champ? 
Multiple, multiple, multiple. Yeah. Yeah. So I was faced her as a purple belt. Which <laughs> How'd was you fun. go? Oh, yeah, ace. I'm really good <laughs> at like setting up a meme of myself in her bow and arrow joke. <laughs> yeah. So there was that. But then like, you know, I say that and that happened. But what also happened in that comp was I fought the open weight the next day. So I beat a black belt the next day. How which cool is that? pretty cool at yeah, that stage level, you know. And then mm. I fought the next round was Luana, who's like also a Hall of Famer and is like my hero. Like she's the chick, my belt, Hall of Famer, you know. My, sorry, not my belt, my size, you know. And I'd been following around for seminar tours <laughs> and then I had to fight her. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was pretty intense. That's cool. But amazing, amazing. Like experience and not as in – like I mean, yes, it was experiences in building my – like ability to get ready for like the main stage as purple belt, like brown belt, black belt, whatever. The life experience that that is is off the chain. Like it's your heroes, you know. Like it's like you're getting to fight Marcelo Garcia. Like what the hell? <laughs> like, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I almost yeah. I, I kind of I can't imagine it. And in a sense, I you know I've always had a, and I guess a lot of people do, but I've always had a very mixed relationship with competition mm-hmm. i don't like it yeah uh, but i like it afterwards right yeah but i'm the this same is, but this is what it is yeah like yeah super nerve-wracking mm. all of those insecurities come up and then you do it and you're like that was fucking great regardless yeah. of the outcome but you know i do uh, like i look at say what you did and i think man that's like to put yourself through that for such a long period of time mm. that is taking on a lot of kind of pressure a lot of pressure yeah yeah um which is just you know it's exceptional and it's it's you know, maybe you like it or maybe you're just hyper-disciplined. What do you? What would you think in that sense? Would it be one or the other that you just like? Definitely. Yeah? I, I don't – I don't – I – and this is something actually to give you as, as advice and help. I didn't enjoy competing until black belt. It's not fun. It's not a fun process. It's a I've got to get it done, you know. Like I competed because I wanted the standard – for Australian women to be set so high that we could change like literally the whole culture and the way that women train and what they expect out of themselves, you know? Like I'm – and when I say old, I know I'm not old but I'm I'm a little old lady in like relation to the sport. In a combat sport. Like as far as like age goes, you know, like I – if it takes 10 years to get to black belt, I'm that many years older – than the average person that's competing, yeah. right? Like, so there's a whole there's a whole lifetime that I am older. I know I'm not an old person like walking out on the street, but like it, within jujitsu terms, I'm pretty old, you know. Like, so. Well, yeah. What the the adult division, uh, the adult division, which is the most competitive division, mm. ends at like that's up to thirty. Yeah, and, then and it's so masters. I started then. Yeah, right. Yeah. and so you can do masters. You can do masters two from thirty-five onwards. You're yeah. competing adult division. Yes, when you could have gone into the masters, masters division. Masters two. Yeah, yeah. So, and there is no masters divisions for women in Abu Dhabi. Right. Yeah. Abu Dhabi. Just to give a bit of context yeah. to that for people listening, there's a, a grappling competition held every two years. No. So there's two. Oh, uh, there's the the there's jiu-jitsu two. pro. ADCC is every two years. Right. And is no gi and has a different rule set. That ADCC stands for Abu Dhabi Combat Club, which is actually a physical venue, which I've been to and trained in, which is really cool. Like it's it's a, it's a thing. Wow. And they developed the ADCC. So that's like a, it's a, a completely different lineage to that Abu Dhabi World Pro. Right. Which is run by the UAEJJ. 
Okay. Yeah. So that the UAE JJ is the one that was like established in schools and stuff over there. Yeah. Uh, like so, there's different affiliations teaching over there, but that's the branch their federation, like our AF BJJ. They have a very invested interest in showcasing the Sheikh's son. So right. they crea- created the Abu Dhabi World Pro. Right. Mm-hmm. As a platform for him to… Win. Yeah, right on. <laughs> Incredible. So they want him to… Like they want homegrown world champions. So they created a world championship. Good on them. They're the first people to start Fucking paying awesome. us, you know. Yeah. So like mm. for me, like that was that was an awesome opportunity. Like if I do the sums of like how much my trainings cost over the years or whatever, I'm very far ahead. Because of those four wins. Like, because they were $8,000 trips. Right. You know, like, all expenses paid, whatever. Like, I mean, apart from, like, the life experience that they were. Cool. Like, man, like, the first couple of times I went out there, like, I, it's just, like, I can't even get my head around how incredible they were. They, like, they ha- first off, they have you in a hotel that's in the shape of a stingray that has all white marble floors, right? Like, it's <laughs> madness. Like, madness. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. It's just so much money. <laughs> like, and this is, like a poor hotel for them. Like it's not even five stars for them. And then they like clear out this billiard room and they fill it with mats and it's like the black belt hotel, right? Like so you're all there <laughs> and they're all down in this billiard room rolling. So I've got like 15 minutes footage of Galvao rolling with Gabby Garcia. Like there's like Cyborg in the corner. There's like Michelle Nicolini over there. There's It just is nuts. It's nuts, you know. It's out wow, there in like Carlos the Vieira. of the sport. Crazy. Carlos Vieira is like, hey, like, have you met these guys, Jess? And it was the meows. Well, they were purple. It's <laughs> like, do you want to roll with one of them? I was like, God, that guy's got a bad attitude. Roll with a meow. <laughs> <laughs> ripped my face off. Like, yeah. it's just like, what are these people, you know? Like, yeah. Why won't he look me in the eyes? <laughs> <laughs> but amazing experiences, you know. Anyway, I've gone off track. I have no idea where I am. But no, so, <laughs> but so yeah, so that really was the, that's, I, I guess, one of the one of the only comps where you need to qualify. Mm. So you do, there's a trial every year. Yeah. And if you win the trials, you get the all expenses trip paid. Well, the structure has changed a lot. So when I, when I was going out, it was, I think, a much better deal. You win your division, you win the open, you get a ticket. If right. You're best, you go. Now it's a point-based system. So, like, you can kind of... Just enter a bunch of comps. Oh, okay. This is why you see a lot of people traveling to go to different comps and... Yeah. Yeah, right. So it used to be like heaps more like Kumite feeling, you know? Yeah, this is the one. Yeah, like it was really fun. I think I remember competing in the first... um, I think I remember competing in the first... One of the first trials here Mm. for Blue Belts. Was that in the hot... Oh, the hottest... Down in Karangbar? I don't know. It was a basketball center that was the yeah. hottest and they were like eight hours late on the yeah. schedule. Yeah, it was fucked. Alex Prates was running it. <laughs> it was so bad. Sorry, Alex, you're amazing, but that Legend was bad. Legend guy. <laughs> but it was, worst, it was awful, man. And I remember in that division, um, I remember um, I'm pretty sure that Kit Dale was there. Would have been, But yeah. no one, I don't no one, knew, no one knew yeah. who it was. Yeah. And um, Richie Walsh, they yep. fought in the UFC. Yep. He yeah, was yeah. there. And they were in my division. Oh, nice. And I got cleaned up <laughs> in my first match by Zane, who's a guy from Alexandria, Grace Zane Saliba. Yeah. Who was like, I don't know, 10 kilos heavier than me, but also just a way better competitor. Like he just fucking smashed Dang. me. I came off the mats and my coach said to me, congratulations, you just gave away your ticket to Abu Dhabi. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, oh, thanks, coach. So you can um, see the point where his heart rips <laughs> yeah. in half. <laughs> I was kind of like, I don't give a fuck, man. I'm done. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was so competitive, and then and I believe Kit won 
And it and was like, yeah. and then that was the beginning of people coming to learn who Kit Dale was, who was this yeah. character from Victoria. Because he went over and he did really well over there as well. So that year was the year that it was still over there. I think they used to fly him over for two weeks then. And they did no gi and gi, which is probably why people are a bit confused between Abu Dhabi, like as a world pro, and the ADCC comp. Right. Because they've both got Abu Dhabi in the name or whatever, but yeah. they don't. They no longer do no gi. Uh, okay, mm. so the Abu Dhabi is just gi jiu jitsu. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yep. It's yep. easy to understand. Yeah, and it's a slightly different rule set. Like it definitely lends itself to somebody like me. Like so, the last time I went over was my debut as a black belt on an international stage, and it's shorter matches. They're like six minutes or something. So mm. in the finals or whatever. So that's a lot better if you're 38. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> than your 10-minute matches. Man, yeah. It's funny, 10 minutes doesn't sound like a long time, but if you've ever done jiu-jitsu or, f- or combat, like if you've sparred, oh, man. 10 minutes is a fucking lifetime. Yeah, and you have to prepare then for 60 minutes because you might have several rounds. Ah, uh, yes. Mm. Which plus is a over, nightmare. Plus overtime, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you're, you're at the highest level at that point. Oh. So it's not like 10 minutes in the gym. It's like everyone's no. there going as hard as they can. Yeah. My last comp was the Nogi Worlds and I had to get – prepped for 10 minute matches with 20 year old girls at black belt that was hell <laughs> actual hell yeah. <laughs> yeah so tell me you know so through all of that and mm. uh, you know obviously combat sports jiu-jitsu in particular high risk of injury mm. takes a toll on the body mm. you know, if you know i can't see jess's fingers but she's got like you got some <laughs> i see you fingertips. looking at them occasionally you know it's like so capturing like i'm like oh. i know it's shocking like I know that other women have the experience of dudes like tit checking them, like looking down at their tits, <laughs> but I get guys <laughs> finger checking me. Like they, like I know they're distracted by it and it's, yeah. Shows your fingertips. Yeah, they're pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty out the gate, man. But I mean, I, I'm always fascinated by um, the, the calluses on jujitsu fingers. Yeah. Because you end up with these funny calluses on the fingertip because of the, the gi. Yeah. So, it, and it looks like, it looks like you're developing arthritis, which you are, but I that's am. happening underneath the surface. No, but I am. So I you have are. like, and people see my hands and they freak out, but I have like a family predisposition to this. I also started the sport late. I also don't really give a shit. Like if I get collies or whatever, I'm like, like, I just don't care. Like mm. I love the sport enough. I'm not really like... I don't know. It's not about not being vain or whatever, but I just don't care. Like I'd rather my hands do what they've got to do than look pretty. But it also becomes, I mean, I'm sure there's a, it's a badge of honour as well, right? Like it, it tells a story somewhat of what me. you've gone I, through. I don't feel like it in that way. Like I don't love them, right. but it's like it just is what it is. And every hand doctor that I've gone to, once they calm down and go like beyond the what are you doing <laughs> like <laughs> to like – you need surgery, you know, like I just, I don't know, like, I don't know. I, I don't care enough. I don't care enough about that sort of stuff, but I, yeah, I don't love it. And I know that there's pain ahead, but it is also like for those like that have seen my hands, <laughs> they are really bad. Like they're exceptionally bad. <laughs> um, it's not, it's not definitely coming your way. So these are like, I can't remember. It's either Bashaud's nodes or I think it's Herbiton's nodes. It's an actual like specific arthritis right? that looks worse because of jiu-jitsu and everybody thinks it is, but it's, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Don't worry. They're not coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty gross. How do you, um, 
Tell me how you, you know, as a, as a lighter weight person, you came and trained with us on Wednesday night, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, Thank you for that. That was awesome. Thanks for coming. Yeah, it was, it was really a pleasure cool. to have you here and a couple of mates. Yeah. Um, how do you handle, how do you stay on top of injury and keeping mm. yourself healthy? And, mm-hmm. you know, is there a secret there? Is there something that you've done? Mm. Because obviously for, for a, it is a largely male dominant sport. Yeah. You have to train with a lot of heavier males. Yeah. What do you, yeah, what's your thing? Um, okay. So different phases, like 30 feels very different to 35, 35 feels very different to 40, like, and, and exponentially so, you know, like it's like, yeah, 38 to 40 is very different from say 32 to 34. Like I feel a lot different, you know? Um, and so the plan has had to be different the whole time. Um, I think that strength training has been pivotal for me basically like if there's like laws that I have to live by I can't do jiu-jitsu unless I'm lifting like like it's just it doesn't happen I get pretty excited occasionally and just want to roll and I roll so much that I'm so tired that I can't lift and I'll do that like for a couple of weeks and then something will always pop something always pops like it's like oh yeah three weeks here it is yeah great like I've lost my bicep or whatever's happened you know like so I have I have to. It's not. It's it's like sleep. It has to happen, um, and I've done a lot of it. And I think that um, yeah, without strength training, I I couldn't have stayed on the mats, and I won't be able to stay on the mats. So it's just a two for one deal, really. Um, food, rest, all that kind of stuff. Just staying on top of that. Try not to drink too much alcohol. I think that booze can really mess you up as well um, with injuries. Um, I don't know, like. Yeah, I've always had people smarter than me helping me with that stuff. Like, so obviously I'm like a big part of like a Bulletproof for BJJ program that (laughs) you're a big part of, a bigger part than me. But yeah, like so me and JT have worked together for probably five years. Um, And his his main task with me is usually in day-to-day life to slow me down a bit because I can go a bit gung-ho. Like I've always had a thing where I feel great at the time and I can't, I cannot gauge – it's like I'm dyslexic for it. I cannot gauge how much that toll or tax that's going to have on my body later on. Like I actually can't work it out. I'm much more completionist in like I wake up in the morning and go, okay, cool, today's going to be a 10K run because I've got this left on Strava to get done and I have no idea how my body's feeling, you know, like so I can really mess myself up. Like even the other night I came and rolled here and I felt totally fine the whole night like yeah you whinge about how tired you are and stuff but like I was actually totally fine it mm. wasn't too much it wasn't too little or whatever but I went home and I slept for 14 hours <laughs> you know like and then I rolled for like maybe half an hour in the afternoon yesterday and then I went home and slept again so I'm wrecked that was too much but it didn't feel like it at the time you know so, so fun yeah but it is so fun but that's like you know even the last 48 hours is a great example of, of what happens is I was meant to lift last night as part of my training to keep me structurally sound and I was too tired to do it because I rolled. So like it's a – like I don't get to roll now until I lift. I've got to put everything back together, get everything like firing yeah. in the right order and it's just a – it's a given and it's pretty much always been like that. Like I have, I have to stay strong. I have to be like – stronger than everybody else on the mat for their size you know like everybody mm. i roll with is like you saw the size of the guys that i came in with that's my team that's yeah, what they're like you know dudes. and like in my head i feel heaps bigger i looked at the photos afterwards <laughs> and i was like because i felt like i wasn't that much smaller than you <laughs> like, 
don't know what's wrong with my head because I see the photos and I'm like, holy shit, like you're really small, you know. But like, yeah, lifting, you have to lift. I think that, yeah, that's that's the answer. Basically. Yeah, right on. Mm. And um, do you, you know, is that something that you did? Did you do that early on or was it? Yeah. It, it only came about later. No, early on, but in different forms. So very early on, like I said, my second comp, I had to lose eight kilos for, and that was over Christmas and pretty quickly. So I had to come down. I think the Pampax were in October that year and then ADCC was in February. So I knew about it in about December. So I had about eight or ten weeks or something to get down eight kilos. So I um, yeah, found a coach who was actually from Wollongong, which is really strange, um, because I've been hanging out there lately, but I found a coach that helped me with that and it was like he told me to go get two tyres and a keg and sand and water and things like that and I just like four times a week I'd be flipping a massive tyre in my backyard and jumping in and out of it and essentially crossfitting without any skills or like observation, you know, lots of sledgehammer work, that kind of stuff. Without the knee sleeves and the hot shots. Yeah, without (laughs) the like... (laughs) spinal injuries and stuff like that you know like so it just yeah that that's where it started and then within a year I so when I won the Abu Dhabi trials that's right won the Abu Dhabi trials and a guy um, Scott War in Victoria who was one of the first owners well, no, was the first owner of CrossFit Victoria he kind of came and like grabbed me and said look I, I'm trying to essentially do what you guys have done with Bulletproof I want to create a strength program for jiu-jitsu athletes. I think that, you know, if people can see that I've done good work with you, um, you know, it'll be more prominent, whatever. Like, so he sponsored me and he came from, what was it? Uh, is it south side or west side lifting or something? Is that what it's called? Uh, it's a style of lifting. West side barbell? Yeah. No, it, like it's a style of lifting. I guess it's predominantly okay. powerlifting movements. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't have that very long to get ready for Abu Dhabi. So I went over as a blue belt the first time. Um, and he was like, okay, so if we can just get your like posterior chain firing properly, I reckon we'll get the most yield out of like lifting for eight weeks, you know, like, so that's what we did. And I just did a heap of like good mornings and stuff. So I learned how to lift for the first time with him. And I went over there. <laughs> God, that blue belt comp. Oh my lord! I was like, I was really fit. Like I was crazy, crazy fit by the end of the work with Scott, and younger then, like thirty-two, probably coming into my peak strength and fitness, like maybe a couple of years later, but on my way into it. And so I fought in my division, and that was pretty cool. Like really fun. Got a bunch of fights in, but I lost to um, a, the girl that won the division, which like I hate when people say that because that means you didn't make an impact on their game at all. And I didn't. She cutting arm barred me from like a sick guard that I'd never seen before, <laughs> you know. And so she went on to win the division, totally outclassed, no problem. But then you go into the open, right? So I went into the open and I had like a bunch of matches. And open is open weight. So, so you're against everyone, right? Yep. And so there was a woman there that is – Legit was the biggest woman I've ever seen in my life. She was one of Gabby Garcia's. I'll, I'll give you the photo so you can see it for context. She was one of Gabby Garcia's students and she was bigger than Gabby when Gabby was big. Fuck. Gabby was over 100? 120, like easy. And oh like a God. kind of like soft over hard when she was big. Like, yeah, like now a she's just hard. But padding. like, yeah. But this woman was. Oh my God. Bigger. You bigger. 
yeah and so like I had that thing where I was walking out and like someone gave me that like sad tap on the shoulder of like just have fun I was like, <laughs> yeah. play your game Jess yeah. <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> just to have fun and so I went out and I like I think she might have been injured before her match with me okay like and that's not great and not fun for her but like so somebody had said to me just don't play underneath and I was like yeah no shit no don't shit. play underneath like I will actually die like so I went out and grabbed her and I grabbed collar sleeve right like so I'm like shaking her and like trying to like angle out backwards to essentially like get her to step so I could arm drag or something and just fling off the back of her like a rodeo <laughs> and so I've grabbed her collar and sleeve and like I'm just shaking it like you do like a um how, how do I explain I'm shaking it like you would do uh, – hi, there's a social media moment. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have like, actually referenced it. But um, like a sledgehammer, right? So yeah. I'm shaking like that kind of like crossbody like – Trying to get some reaction out movement, of Movement and she just starts yelling, paru, paru, and I was like – Stop. And so I keep shaking her arm, right? And so the ref calls it off and I fully pulled her arm out of its socket. <laughs> <laughs> Standing. It's not jiu-jitsu, it's just full CrossFit. Like just <laughs> get this and I'll just pull yeah. it out. <laughs> Which is like it's Elbow awful. Elbow shoulder? Shoulder came out. Holy sub-watched. shit. Yeah. Wow. Which great. is like it, it's awful but it's great, you know? Yeah. Like it's two at the same time. Like I, I really never wanted to go to the ground with that woman ever and I'm sorry for her injury and it's real bad. Like that's not fun for her but thank God, you know. Like so that was a CrossFit win for sure. <laughs> and then I think I won the next round. I don't know. But I ended up with bronze and it was like really cool. Like that proved to me that you could like do a lot internationally, you know. So yeah, so that was my first strength training kind of like seriously. So it's always been in there. And then in Purple Belt, I – what happened? Oh, that's right. The Pam Packs. 50-50. I'd never been in 50-50 before and I did my LCL. Ooh. So, which is pretty like standard 50 50 um, is a type behavior. of guard. Yeah. Listening, it's kind of leg, kind of knee heavy, leg heavy. A little bit LCL heavy. And yep. so I did my LCL. It disappeared and that was not fun. So um, my rehab for that was straight-legged deadlifts, right? Like so first just stepping up on a box like a million times a day. And I was like – because I busted my knee and it was like right at the end of the season or whatever, like me and my sister just did summer of guns. So that was the summer that I learned how to do chin-ups and I did a lot of chin-ups and I didn't really realise that it was going to be a lot of back, not just arms. So I got this really wide back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is like – Who doesn't want that? <laughs> sure, but until you learn how to actually like use it in your body and not just like work from your traps, you know, like it just – anyway. And so I did a lot of deadlifting that summer and that's always been my favorite lift ever ever since you know so yeah it's always been in there whether it's been rehab or like prehab or whatever it is and then by probably brown belt was like a bad time bad things happened I didn't lift enough I got terribly injured learnt my lesson and then after that when I was coming back from that like I just fresh got my black belt um yeah JT found me and yeah changed my life <laughs> which cool. was cool that's <laughs> yeah cool. yeah <laughs> yeah so that's how it works for me what about um in specifically when you go into rolling mm. in training and you're you know and you're about to engage with someone who's heavier stronger bigger mm. is there something you do in a technique from a technical perspective there or do you just do you just kind of have trust that you you've prepared well and that your body's as good as it can be and you just roll mm, i have like a system. I have a system depending on who you are and what your body type is. 
what your belt is, what we're playing. So to explain that a little bit better for listeners, I guess, in no-gi, I don't fight people I don't trust and know. Like I'll roll with them but I just respond to whatever you're doing and deflect and deflect and stop you and stop you and stop you. Like I just don't let you do anything. I don't actually engage or try to chase anything. So it just depends on who you are like and and what we're doing. Like I don't sub blue belt dudes that I don't know the first time we roll ever. Like it's a not thing unless it's right the, on the timer. Because of the blowback? Because of the second second wave. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because like you roll with them, you sub them, and this is like a hundred percent strike rate for a new blue belt that's never met me before. You roll with them, you sub them. It's going to happen. It's my belt. It's not my gender. It's just my belt. Like that's like if you're a black belt, like dear blue belts, when you're a black belt, if you're not subbing the blue belts, there's something wrong with you. So don't think that there's something wrong with you when I sub you now. Like that's just how it goes. That's the that's the sport. So like if I sub them, something in their brain tells them that they were going easy on some level that like that's the logic that they go to first. And it's only because it's in that given moment. It's not because they're being a jerk or like whatever. It's just in their logic in that moment. They think it must have been me that made that happen. It mm. couldn't have been her that made it happen because it's all self-focused at Blue Belt, right? Like so, yeah, so I just don't because that second part of the role is like the, the worst, the worst nightmare like the of fury. hell. Yeah, it is full fury. So I only do if it, it's right on the timer because <laughs> I don't want to do it again. But, yeah, but, like, as far as, like, actual, like, approaches, yes, I, like, it, it depends on oh – no, like, there's so many things. It just depends. Like, it depends on the human. I, like, I'll roll onto my back essentially like a puppy and if they come at me hard, cool, I'm going to shut you down right there. I'm going to grab every grip and just shut it down until I can establish and then, like – move forward you know like but I tend not to grab people and tap hands and come on top straight away because my top game's like pretty good and I can't playfully play top game like I'm passing you guard or I'm not you know like if I dick around like you can kind of dick around in guard like you can play with the lower belts in guard and just give them something to play with or whatever. Half let them pass, change your grips. Yeah but half letting people like any good grip establishment from a guard on you if you're passing is not playing anymore. It's a threat. Yeah. So like, yeah, it just it honestly like I've got a lot of process, but it just depends on you and how you how you approach me. So it's it's always in response to your body type, your size, or whatever. But like, I'll evaluate things. Like it's a little bit like bringing one of my friends down the other day. Like he's a brown belt. He's an MMA fighter. He's very young. He's very fit. He's very ready to go. Like he's a black belt in judo. And of course, like for me, if I didn't know him, that's my worst nightmare. I would not roll with that man for Mm. the first time. I'd watch the whole mat roll with him first, you know, (laughs) and then I'd check out whether he's like intense or not, you know, like, and even then like to protect myself, if somebody really wants to come at me, I just don't fight them. I just stop them. That's all I need to do, you know, like, and sometimes that's enough to show people the magic of jujitsu. Like they can't do anything to this little old lady and they're going full throttle. And then later on I I see them assess like I went a little bit ham there, (laughs) like how embarrassing, you know. (laughs) And she's just like off giggling in a corner, you know, (laughs) like. So, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of assessing is my best trick, I think. Mm. It's cool. It's very intelligent. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise you get smashed. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're talking about the uh, feisty blue belts. I remember being one of those. Yeah, I was one of those too. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, I was awful. I, was, I wanted to kill people. It happens. Everyone's <laughs> the same. Awful. Paul's a blue belt, yeah. Ah, uh, that's nice though. Maybe you're part of the new wave. I think back in the day it was like, I'm not a white belt anymore and I'm going to kill everybody. It was 10 well, years you're ago. you trying to prove that you're like, you're, I don't know. It's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? It's your first rank. It's... You're kind of trying to prove I I've feel into like this. the culture has changed. I feel like 10 years ago it was different. Yeah, right. It was just like more like hazing. I will just smash you because I can. Yeah. And I don't feel that energy in mats anymore. Where's the energy gone to now then? What are they doing? I just think that there's more mums and pops in jiu-jitsu, you know, like kids do it. It's less like, of a so, fight club. It's more of a martial art. Yeah, art. totally. Like I think it's family sport. Like, and yes, you can go to comp classes or whatever, but it's almost like the comp classes have moved themselves out of like the mainstream classes because they want that intensity anyway or they're different sessions altogether. Mm. But like, yeah, for me, uh, I was telling this story the other day, but like my first gym, we fought each other for our belts. Mm. So our coach would call a ring of death, ring of death. We'd all sit in a circle and he'd put the belt in the middle of the mat. And you and the other person that was your rank had to fight. Holy shit. Fight for the belt. My God. Flat out. And winner gets it. Yeah. Wow. And loser does not. That was the other thing. And, that was a big the, part of that. Until the, next, <laughs> until the next ring of death. Yeah. Oh, brutal. Yeah. So And we'd have in-house comps and stuff. I was fighting my teammates very often. Yeah. Very often. Yeah. So it's a different vibe, you know. <laughs> Can we <laughs> yeah. implement that, Joe? I think we should. I think it fits well with the culture here. Yeah. You need to have like a kumite like <laughs> yeah, totally. like sound that Doom, happens. Yeah, jungle Brothers sound. Yeah. Yeah. In the corner. <laughs> you Bongos just down start. like a dark Hong Kong alleyway to get to the place. <laughs> yeah. yeah it definitely changes the culture of the room. <laughs> um. We're going to wrap it up there. Mm. I wanted to, um, I guess I just wanted to open it for if you wanted to mention anything where people can get in touch. Um, you mentioned Australian Girls in Gi. Yeah. I think you're teaching a little bit of privates as well. Yep. Um, what's on offer? Where can people reach out to you? Uh, just at Koala Jiu-Jitsu on Insta is probably the easiest, you know. Like there's all sorts of um, websites and stuff, AustralianGirlsInGi.com or any kind of Facebook or Instagram version of that, you will find us um, or just, yeah, hassle me at Koala Jiu-Jitsu or Facebook, get on the, the messenger. Yeah. Next event, unsure? Unsure. Like mm. uh, mainly because everything's unsure, right? Everything like we've all unsure. just started rolling again. I don't want to host an event until everybody's got their timing back and they're like down with rolling again. So that might be three months after lockdown, you know. Like I don't, I don't want people to come in too quick after so long off, yeah, mm. rolling and – on my watch, you know, I want them to be with their teams, with people that they know and trust first, foster like their involvement again, and then I'll start running stuff. But yeah, for sure, I'll, I'll run a bunch of open mats. The girls that like know me, know the Australian girls and gear open mats that I do, and they'll like, they'll know what I'm talking about. And I'll just, I'll come to you guys. Like I'll tour them around Australia once we can open up the doors and stuff again. And yeah, there'll be camps and there'll be stuff soon, but all in good time, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to rush anything. Yeah, you don't want to create a, uh, a hotspot of, of oh, imagine. Uh, what do they call it? Super spreaders. Yeah, I don't want you don't to be you don't patient want to that. zero in the, <laughs> yeah. the jiu-jitsu community. You can community. trace it all back to this girl gross. named Koala Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, gross. Imagine that. No, I'm not going to do that. You guys can 
do that amongst yourselves. <laughs> Dude, um, thank you for making the time to come on the show today. Of course. Yeah. And um, congratulations for everything that you've accomplished so far. Thank you. Thank you for oh. having me. Yeah, cool. I'm excited to see where it goes, you know, from here with A-Gig and stuff. Yeah, thanks. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the mats at some point. Yeah, I'll come up and roll, for sure. Legend. For sure. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Polly. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, it was episode 66, Jungle Brothers Podcast with the powerful Jess Fraser. Um, if you need us, junglebrothers.com is the spot or you can get us on Instagram at Jungle Brothers Movement. Um, shout out to Panavore Coffee today for supplying the brew that we were sipping on. God damn, I forgot to give him a shout out at the beginning. I remember next week, Tree. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoy the episode, please uh, take a screenshot of it, share it, post on your stories, tell a friend, help support the show uh, so we can keep supplying you guys with the goods. Thanks, fam. Catch you next week. Bye.